God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. John 3, 17. Hey everybody, I'm Reagan Gilliland. And I'm Stephanie Reedmeyer. And this is Off Script, the podcast where every week we're going to take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss the parts that didn't make it in, uh, that maybe ended up on the cutting room floor. And I'm excited to get started today because we have Stephanie on it today. So we're excited. So good to have you. How are you feeling? Thanks. Feeling well. What about you? Pretty good. Last one we did was Jonah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was like an extra, like a it was, bonus. It was a bonus. Because people needed it. It was great. It was a good time. Now the people need us on Jesus. Yes. <laughs> so we're experts. Experts. Um, okay, so we are in, this was week four of our Promises Promise, our Lenten sermon series. So have you been enjoying preaching on the covenants? Or yeah, how many yeah. have you done? Because Paul's preached some, Paul right? did one, and I did Noah and the Moses. Okay. Uh, and then this week, Jesus. So yeah, it's, it's a good one. I like the covenants. I think we don't always hear them all together like this. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been good. Yeah, it's been a good journey. I don't know, seeing kind of how they expand and how they're similar and how they're different, which we'll probably talk about. Yeah, yeah. And during Lent, especially, it's been cool. I like following lectionary too. I'm a nerd like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for any time we can get the lectionary in. Let's do it. Yeah, I've never really done the lectionary. So this is my first we just kind of did whatever we wanted at lover's lane yeah i respect that <laughs> so. i like having like rules and like oh this is what i should be preaching on you know yeah that it, format it is nice to have someone do the thinking for you kind of <laughs> thanks so, lectionary people thanks <laughs> um okay so this this passage was john three fourteen through 21 obviously kind of a big verse stuck in there <laughs> so the the big one the big one so on a scale from one to 10, how stressed were you about preaching on this text and why? And have you preached on it? Yeah. So I don't think I've preached on it. And I think I'm like a five. Okay. I'll let you, I feel like you are a little more stressed than me. So I'll let you dive deeper into your emotions <laughs> as to why that is. Uh, but I'm a solid five just because I feel like we get so much here. It's not just 316. I feel like if it was 316 alone, I would be really stressed. Mm-hmm. But because we get all the surrounding verses, I'm able to play with it. So I was kind of excited with that to like see what I could touch from other sources, that sort of thing. Yeah. So tell me about your stress level, Reagan. Well, I mean, I think I just really fixated on the John three sixteen that I'm just like, well, people know like that's in there. Like I have to. Do really... people know that scripture? A few would say, yeah. Just JK, kind of... JK. <laughs> but so I think I just put a lot of pressure on myself because I think are people just really gonna want to know what I have to say about that particular verse? I think really it was because Chris just loves the book of John so much that he knows it inside and out that I'm just like, oh my gosh. And I think because I never preached on it before. I was just like, I don't even know how to start. And we talked about how like the 14 through 21, so the whole scope of it, there's like so many different things, like the beginning, which we'll talk about, about serpents. And then you get to the famous verse and then you talk about condemning and save and light and darkness. And then it's couched in this conversation with Nicodemus. So it's just, <laughs> there's a lot going on. A right. Lot to Do people know that? I don't like, think so. When they memorize John three sixteen, like. 
do they think Jesus is just saying this to the people or like, right. do they know the story? I'm sure if you're like, what came before John three sixteen, no one would be able to say, oh yeah, it's about the Moses living up, lifting up a serpent. Yeah. Like, I mean, Chris Dowd probably. Chris Dowd. He got sh- in your head for this. I he think. did. I think so. Let's see. Okay. So we're going to talk more about the text, but do you have a favorite version of John three sixteen? Great question. I wish I could tell you that this is my favorite version okay. for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Ooh. That is only because that is what I memorized as a child. It yeah. could be way wrong. Do you know what version that was? I, I'm looking. There's so many translations <laughs> of so, the Bible. There's so many. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's a, uh, a mix of a few. I mean, they, they don't get too creative with this one. I mean, right. they kind of stick to it. But it depends if what people say begotten. I think that's... Oh, interesting. Some people don't say begotten. That's like a giveaway. Uh, let's see. He gave his one and only son. Yeah, and as a child, oh. that's the version I memorized. Like, what child knows what begotten means? I don't know what I begotten. don't use that word. No, I've not. Yeah. The message version is, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son... His one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Wow. I feel like that's more confusing than what I'm usually to expect from the message. Eugene Peterson, right? Yeah. Thanks, I feel Eugene. like he usually makes it pretty simple, but yeah. that seemed like a lot. It got wordy. <laughs> it did. Everyone has their own version. Um, maybe you're like me and you don't really know what version it is. You just know what you've memorized from a, like being a child. Yeah. But it sounds like they're all pretty similar. They are pretty all. Yeah. What uh, do you preach from? What version? I mean, I, so the Bible that I use is NLT. Oh, we are Reagan. I, I know. <laughs> Why is there so much hate for NLT? Chris feels the same way. He's That's like, it's so bizarre. He's like, it's not a translation. It's an interpretation for or sure. like, I don't know. He's just like, that doesn't count. But I, I'm very sentimental. So Scott, my husband, got me the Bible with like my name, like with my, when I got married. So it has Reagan Gilliland on. So it was like special. So I'm just. He got you an NLT version? Yeah. When y'all got married? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I like it. I don't know why. Well, it's because Scott gave it to you. That's yeah. why. I mean, I'm just sentimental. Yeah. Because he gave it to me. I'm sure I picked it out. Yeah. I don't know. I think because I hadn't had NLT before, I just like to mix it up. So then I just got attached to it. I feel you. So I typically like grew up using NRSV because good Methodist, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I preach from Common English Bible because I find it very inclusive. Um, but they do something I don't love. And that's when Jesus talks about himself. He uses human one. Oh, so a lot of mine say like so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life so human one is kind of like startling okay to hear they're so inclusive and then they're like man we're really gonna throw a curveball and just use human one is ceb the other like one that's getting more in the methodist church yeah like for sure okay so Reagan, <laughs> i have a few questions for you so how do you think this covenant is similar to the other ones we've covered um or what is different about it it's a good question. So what is this covenant? What did you say in your sermon? So, I mean, the covenant really was of, of Christ giving us new life, you know, like, For sure. so that's kind of how I summed it up. Okay. So the way that it's similar, the way that I talked about it is that every covenant. Okay. So the verse for God, so loved the world he gave, 
Like that's so much in God's nature to give. And so with all the covenants, Noah, Abraham, Moses, it's this action of God giving us something. Yeah. And so it's this um, idea of God moving first, God giving, God being the one that is always continually moving toward us. So I, that's the common thread through all of this and through the whole Bible. For <laughs> sure. Know? And then with Noah, you know, I feel like they kind of build upon each other. Like Noah, the covenant was given. Noah didn't have to do anything. Um, There's like literally nothing like, okay, now Noah, your family needs to do this. It was just like, I promise not to flood the earth, you know, and they move on. With Abraham, why there are some things that, that Abraham had to do kind of afterwards, like circumcision and different things like that. So not like a light thing. When God first approaches Abraham, he says like, this is what like God says, this is what I'm going to do. And it doesn't say, but first you need to do this. Like, it's very much like this is given. I'm going to follow through with it. And then with Moses, while this is like expectations and rules to do, it really is this, like, I'm giving these to you so you can have a better life. Like it's not to punish you. It's not to be a fun killer, but like you've, You've just gotten out of Egypt, and I want you to have this new beginning, this new life. I want things to look different for you. So that's kind of how I see them. Um, and then you get to this one, and it's still an act of giving, giving of self. So it's like God, you know, gave things and promised things, but now God's like a giving of God's self. Like it's pretty radical. Um, and so now God is giving, but then God's kind of doing all of the action, and then it's up to us. Um, and with all the covenants, like, you know, God's pretty consistent. Like I'm giving these, they're going to stand whether you choose to participate or say yes to that. And that's kind of how this is like, I died for you. It's your choice to say yes to it or no. So I don't know. What about you? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you kind of touched on this with Moses that you said that God was giving, um, them a new thing. And I think that newness is part of each of these covenants, right? Mm -hmm. So in the creation you know after the flood happens then God is giving them new land I mean a new chance at life um Moses with the new commandments Abraham and Sarah this new descendancy Mm -hmm. um they're going to have these new descendants it's going to be a new way of living um and then now Jesus so when I do when I lead communion liturgy typically when I bless the cup, I say, this is a new, a sign of a new thing I'm doing Mm -hmm. that Jesus tells his disciples. So it's this new covenant. So this idea of newness that isn't just found in the new Testament, it's actually found in the old Testament too. Um, and I think we forget that a lot. I think as Christians, uh, it's super fun to claim the new Testament as grace and love and newness. Uh, but we see this newness and second chance in the old Testament too. So I like that continuity that we see throughout, Um, And the difference, I think, is just um, that it's Jesus here on earth as God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the biggest difference, right? Is that we get this human form of God uh, to look to as an example, to look to as a source uh, to build our life around. Um, So that is different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not these humans that are flawed. It's Christ who was human and still God. Yeah. Um, So that's the biggest difference that I kind of think sticks out and makes this a different covenant mm-hmm. than the previous one sure yeah and it's even i mean you touched on this but it's more than god just putting flesh on like it's this like no god it's god coming down because like you know yeah i mean it's i don't know sometimes i i still think about it, i'm like that is so bananas 
The right? Trinity is bananas. It's bananas. Yeah. I'm sure there's a better term, but I'm just going to say bananas. <laughs> no, bananas is the best term. <laughs> <sighs> I guess it's for both of us. Like, why do we, why is three six John 3.16 this passage that children learn? <laughs> I don't know, because it's kind of short and sweet. I don't know. Yeah. So as a child, did you learn this? I didn't. Okay. Tell me about that. Do so, you... I mean, I kind of grew up in the church, yeah, yeah. but not really... And we always had kind of in and out children minister. So there wasn't like a consistent theme. I just feel like children's church was very different, like us growing up, you know? Um, and then I didn't have a youth group. And so I just, I never really thought about it that much, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. So as a child, I learned this and I was super into church. My parents were into everything. <laughs> One of my friends used to say, uh, when she would spend the night on Saturdays that, you know, we have to get up real early because they have to be at church all day, <laughs> <laughs> referring to my family. Um, so that's kind of how we were. Um, but I went to like Wednesday night yeah. children's. That was like a big thing um, in small town Waxahachie. It was much smaller at the time. I know a lot of you are like, Waxahachie, that's not small. It felt real small, y'all, at the time. <laughs> um, and on Wednesday nights, we would have, it wasn't like Awana's, but it was like the Methodist version of that. Um, and I would say they're not very creative. They were not creative in what they taught us or tried to make God be super inclusive. Um, so we did a lot of memorization. I do not remember any of them except this one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's common. I think if we took a poll on a podcast, if that was possible, mm -hmm. um, maybe we'll just do it on Instagram. Uh, but who memorized it as a child? A lot of us did. And I don't know that there was a motive behind it except that's what was always done or what was acceptable at the yeah. time like your people in your sermon illustration holding up the john three sixteen signs yeah do they just assume everyone knows what that is i guess so like, i mean americans aren't all christians right but they'll hold these at like football games i think was yeah. your example oh yeah at any large gathering really <laughs> People have the John three sixteen poster. I mean, yeah. if you so watch, what are we saying when we're holding that? Like, I don't know. I guess they're trying to remind. Because here's the thing: when you break down the verse, like it, it talks about that God gives, God loves, and that God desires for them to have life. So I don't know, but it, it is it like a tool of evangelism? I think it. I mean, it is. It's trying to say yeah. like, but the thing is, people turn it to like, if you don't believe, you're gonna die. Correct. And so while I grew up Methodist, I think that was partially the motivation behind teaching me as a child that verse is that it was up to me to show that you must be a believer mm -hmm. to know Christ and to have everlasting life. Yeah. Like you're um, doomed if you don't. Right. And me as an elementary student, like while I was very motivated, I was not going around like on a soapbox with a fire and brimstone type of theology. Like, yeah, I was. 10. You're like, I want to be invited to birthday parties. Correct. I want to still be cool. Like, I'll wear my Jesus shirt, but also I want to be popular. Like, I don't think that's wrong of me. Um, so I would memorize this, but it was kind of like, so this is showing like the true salvation. Like, this is salvation. Yeah. This is how you get it mm -hmm. by believing in Jesus. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's hone in on this for a second. So... <sighs> The thing that I hate about how people just throw this up on a poster or talk about it is like they don't actually give any tools. There's nothing in that verse that tells you this is how it looks to be a Christ follower. It's like just believe. And that's the problem that I have with a lot of 
sometimes other denominations and stuff is like, well, just believe it, then you're good. Like just say, you say yes once and then you're good to go. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing that I love about the Methodist church is that, you know, John Wesley believed in backsliding and not one, it's not once saved, always saved. He was not about that. I mean, the whole sanctification, like it's this ongoing process. And so that's what I don't like about people just say like, well, just read this verse and say yes to it and then you're good. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Right. And so I get it as like opening the door. Like if you want to hold it and maybe someone's going to Google and kind of be like, ask some more questions. But in and of itself, it does not stand as a fix all to our problem. Yeah, it's not. Or to who we are. And I hate to say, well, it's not enough, but like, (laughs) but hear me like, that's a great verse. And man, it really packs a lot in that one. But there's so much more like when when this verse talks about eternal life like the thing again that we say like eternal life isn't something like we necessarily this life that is going to come after we die like we can participate in this like kingdom life here yes preach so it's just like dude it's not about i just want to get out of for some people i just don't want to you know i want to get out of hell (laughs) right like it's no people use this as like a ticket out yeah. When instead it's more of this invitation in mm-hmm. to a relationship that happens now. Right. It's not for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that may be a cool perk, uh, but that's not our motivation right. for co- following Christ. Um, and I find it so interesting because everyone's like, yeah, eternal life. But Jesus doesn't go on to say, like, this is what eternal life looks like. Right. Like, we're not given all of this information. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to do our own digging and our own exploration. Um, And part of that is entering into that relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, So while this may be a great conversation starter, and I hope it has made an impact in, I'm sure, a few of our listeners' lives, you know, um, that really this verse maybe has transformed them or it's how they first saw Christ Mm -hmm. in their lives. Um, We don't want to belittle that. Uh, But we also think it's important to know this context, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so (laughs) Jesus isn't just like spouting this in the air, yeah? Yeah. I mean, there, Jesus has a lot of other things. Right. There's He's a lot of the teaching <laughs> Nicodemus too, you know, like this isn't, we both preach on the context of this scripture. Yeah. Um, and that it's, you know, this Pharisee wanted to know more. Yeah. Um, so, so this is part of how Jesus teaches. Yeah. So, th- so say more about, give us more about Nicodemus. <laughs> yeah. Nicodemus, man, what a guy. So he came in the dead of night Mm -hmm. to know more about Jesus. Whereas most of the Pharisees were kind of writing Jesus off as a Mm -hmm. crazy or as someone who was here to stir trouble. Um, They did not know his identity or did not believe his identity as Mm -hmm. um, God, God's son. Uh, Whereas Jesus and the disciples knew more Mm -hmm. about that identity. Although the disciples, those are (laughs) tricky guys. We won't get into them. Uh, So Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he wants to know more. He has questions about what he's heard Jesus teach. um, But he does so in the dead of night, you know. (laughs) Got to put some feelers out. Yeah, he doesn't want everyone to know. He's not going to go all in right now. Yeah. He's not like, hey, guys, I'm going to go meet that Jesus fellow. Be back in a couple hours. Right. I'm going to sneak off at night to learn um which good for him for learning mm-hmm. right like start no. somewhere yeah start somewhere um so something that came up when i was researching and that i would definitely say got left on the cutting floor cutting cutting room floor cutting room floor mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um is that right after this story uh jesus has the encounter with the woman at the well 
Um, and I love that all of this is happening in John because John starts out at the very beginning. The word was light. Um, so talking about Jesus mm-hmm. coming into the earth as light in darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I love I was an English major, so I like parallels um, and motifs found in literature, especially the Bible. Um, but so. Jesus has this relationship with Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus was powerful. He was a Pharisee. Um, he was elevated. And still they met in the dark at night. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it kind of had a shadow cast upon it, yeah. um, this situation, even though he was super powerful. Uh, and then when Jesus meets with the woman at the well a little later, she is like the lowest of the low. She's a Samaritan, mm-hmm. Samaritan. Um she is looked down upon. She's had all these husbands, you know, um, and they meet in the dead of day yeah. out in the light. And Jesus offers her grace right away. Um, and with Nicodemus, it's not that Jesus doesn't offer grace, but Jesus um, is having this dialogue. It's more of a conversation, not like some conversion or some glimpse at light. Um, so I like this juxtaposition that the powerful man comes to Jesus at night, um, but the not powerful woman Mm -hmm. meets Jesus in the day um, and is kind of more vulnerable, more exposed, um, but also doesn't have as much to lose too. Mm -hmm. So I like seeing those stories side by side and how Jesus brings grace um, and teaching and love into both of those relationships, conversations. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important thing that, which is why, and I say in, in sermons, is like or any teaching like it's so good to read before like read what happens before and read a little bit after because it that all usually ties in there's a purpose of the way yeah yeah for Um, sure so do you think Nicodemus because he kind of he just he goes silent you know like they talk and then that's it and then it's it but then we know he reappears two other times right do you think that he ends up getting it based on those stories i like to think nicodemus gets it yeah so he appears when um there's one point where he's mentioned where he says to other pharisees that jesus needs a hearing or something like we need to with the sanhedrin yeah Yeah. and then it's in the burial Mm -hmm. he's in that part he's with joseph of arrhythmia yeah so you think that maybe he he got it yeah it still seems like he's kind of behind the scenes um but i respect that i'm fine with that Mm mm-hmm I think that he comes to have this relationship, though. I yeah. like to believe that, that yeah, he is too. a disciple after all, mm-hmm. that he comes to follow Jesus. And I think I was actually researching a little bit about him. Um, and I think there's actually in some apocryphas, uh, there's a gospel of Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. So I want to learn more about that. So if you find Nicodemus interesting, yeah, research some. Use that Google. That's right. Find us some stuff. Let us know. <laughs> Um, cause I'm interested and I think they kind of say, you know, it could have been another Nicodemus or, you know, how the Bible is with similar names. Yeah. Um, but I like the idea that even though Nicodemus comes in the dead of night, that they find a relationship. Mm-hmm. So in children's ministry at my church growing up, because we're on this, we did a whole musical one year called Nick at night. <laughs> And it was about Nicodemus coming oh my to gosh. Jesus at I'm night. I'm here for it. Is, <laughs> I need to Google to see if I can find the music because I don't remember any Is of there it. a VHS of this <sighs> musical somewhere? I hope so. I, don't, I was probably a narrator. I always wanted to talk if that's not obvious. <laughs> um, and to have the most lines of anyone. <laughs> oh, This is a random question. Is anyone in your family clergy? Is this like a history? Or are you yeah. the only one? I'm the only one. Me too. Yeah. I'm just always curious. But yeah. like you're so good at 
Now I know, like if you're the narrator all the time and you did, what did you do in high school that you told me that learned? I was in FFA. Yeah. Future Farmers of America. Okay. If you're from Texas, you know that. All right. Um, I'm not. I didn't do like showing animals. <laughs> Are you not from Texas? I don't know if you knew that. Huh. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, yeah, you're just very good at speaking so clearly. It started at maybe Nick at Night. Maybe that's. Uh... Maybe that was my. Okay. So let's talk about this serpent part. At the beginning yes. with the snake. So in verses 14 and 15. I can in John 3. In John. I can read it. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I feel like this is like an Easter egg. It is. Like, does anybody know what this is calling mm-hmm. back to? Yeah. So this is calling back to number 21 where... um the Israelites are complaining again. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> About food and not water. And I get that. Yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah. And uh, so they grumble and then God sends serpents and they start biting people and die. Yep. And so then they come to Moses and they're like, okay, we spoke ill of God and of you. So can you pray to God? And um, so he does. And then God says, okay, put a serpent on a pole. And if people, a, a bronze serpent, I'm like, how quickly did he make this? Right. A bronze. Anyway. Also, Moses has like some history with like rods and serpents. Yes, he does. And so God says, if they look at that, so lift it up. And if they look at it, they will, they will live. So there's that. Yeah. So now the people get bit by serpents, but they look at the rod. Yeah. And they're saved. And they're saved. Yeah. So that's the callback here. Mm-hmm. Read that again. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. So, or that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Yeah. So in your sermon, you make this parallel. Yeah. So uh, the serpent is for a long time is known as just the symbol, a curse, sin, disobedience, and death. You know, uh, we Who for- likes snakes? <laughs> no I mean. one. No one. So, um, you know, the serpent shows up in Genesis 3. And from that point on, you know, because of all that, the interaction, that's when like sin and death gets introduced into the, to our story. And so obviously serpents don't have a good record or a reputation they're not looked to. And so it's weird that these people look at this thing that should be cursed and they live. And so the, the comparison is that, you know, the cross was something that was this cursed thing i mean it was a horrible horrible death people that got crucified were usually the the worst of the worst you know criminals and all of that and so this imagery of looking up at something that is cursed so literally and i didn't go quite into the detail about this but like looking at the fullness of the sin or the disobedience of what the what christ was like t- taking part of like him taking on um so like fully understanding what that sacrifice actually meant but from this curse thing, we have life. And so God redeems this thing, um, which is just. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? Yeah. It's a parallel here in John before Jesus has even been crucified. Uh huh. We're seeing this beauty. Um, I love the idea, too, that the cross was such a sign of death. Like mm-hmm. when people were on the road and saw a cross, they knew it was there because. Yeah. Someone was about to be crucified. Right. And we have crosses up like everywhere Everywhere now and it's life right it's this new 
redeemed symbol. Mm -hmm. And I love that because that's how God works, right? God takes our mess and makes it beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, ashes, all of those images that we see throughout the Bible. I still don't think of a serpent as a sign of life, but yeah, I get that it was for the Israelites for a little bit. I did a quick Google search and then I was like, oh, this is going to get me off topic. But like all the medical symbols that have like a snake. Oh, interesting. On it. And so when I Googled it, like most of it had to do with like a Greek God or something, but I just do I find it interesting that they're used on things. So you can Google that. Listeners. Right. I assume that our medical field is not using it as a sign of death. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, so it's a sign of life even there. Like of healing and I stuff. I love it. Okay. So the serpent, serpent was a cursing. Is there anything else from the other covenants that were cursed, but you, that you saw God redeem? See, we t- we're teaching a Lent class. So we talked about how Noah, the cursed ground. Yes. Uh, became life, I guess. Right. Because it was cursed after Adam and Eve. Yeah. And then the flood. And then... So Abraham felt like he was cursed, but knew life came from, because he couldn't pass on like his name, you know, essentially. Yeah. And that was kind of, I mean, people were kind of really looked down upon if you couldn't have a child, like maybe there was some sort of curse. For sure. And yet there's all this life that comes from them. And then I guess with Moses, I mean, they had probably, they had felt like they were cursed to people being in slavery for that long. Definitely. And then they have this new life. So, I mean... Yeah, I'm even thinking back to the flood. You got me thinking on like that water, that destruction. But now we use water as a sign of baptism and new life. Yeah. So it's even these like throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, God gives us proof that bad can be made new. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this passage also going after 316 when it talks about condemn and save. Yeah. So obviously Christians use this a lot. Just use the Bible in general to condemn people. Right. So what does this this part really say? Why is it evidence that like God's not coming to condemn y'all? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So my biggest thing with like condemnation, especially with Christians, is we assume that we know what God is doing or what God's plan is. So that's always been, especially when I worked in youth ministry, a lot of people were like, you know, well, my friend made this bad decision. They're going to hell. Um, I didn't get that all the time, (laughs) but I did hear it some. And so it's more of this idea that who are we to condemn others? Like, yeah, we want to pray for each other and hold each other accountable, but ultimately it's God's decision. And that gives me a lot of life is knowing that I don't have to decide who's you know, worthy of everlasting life or who's in or out. Right. That's not a decision for me. Um, and so I really find it kind of infuriating when other people think that it is their decision, Mm -hmm. that it's their call to say you're in or you're out. Um, Mm -hmm. because I, they're playing God at that point. Um, and so I think it's up for us as good Christians to challenge that belief, um, and to instead, Um, continue to love and challenge one another to grow deeper in their relationship. That's always um, the stance I will take on that. Uh, I do not want to be the one to throw the first stone. Um, I am not perfect. Um, And so then here I am judging others who do want to do that. So it's a whole circle. It is. And I just think, I mean, and I said this in my sermon is that like, if you look at really how Jesus came into the world, how God chose to break into the world. What about that is showing like, oh, I'm here to condemn. I'm a little baby that can't hold my head up. Like, 
No, that's like frail humanity. Right. And then everything that he does, the way he goes about it is not, I mean, the fact that he seeks out people that are, that are on the margins, that are forgotten, that are, and there's such grace. And I say this in my sermon, he does tell them sin no more, but the way he does it, the only times that he comes kind of like, I'm going to come tell you how you're wrong is really to the religious leaders that are holier than thou. Right. So everything about God's nature is like, no, I'm coming to do all that I can to save you and give you life. Like, right. and yeah, so the it's whole... not this angry God. It's a God who cares deeply mm-hmm. to the point where God is moved to sadness on our behalf. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite New Testament scriptures is the Holy Spirit um, in Romans 8. And the Holy Spirit sighs on our behalf with sighs too deep for words. Mm -hmm. Like that just sits with me so much because God knows us that deep. um, And God cares for us that deeply. It's not this vengeful, wrathful God that people like to make of the God of the Old Testament. It's a God who cares. It's not a different God. It's the same God throughout that shows compassion. Right. And that's what Jesus did on earth. Jesus didn't condemn. Yeah, you're right. Jesus said, sin no more. I don't think that's a condemnation of people. Yeah. It's a challenge to do better. Yeah. Which we could all use. Yeah. I just think, man, there's nothing, why there's a high standard, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, we can do whatever we want, but just the way that God came into the world and chose to interact with us, there's such a gentleness and love that is like, no, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not raining down anger and condemnation and all this stuff, like in judgment, I'm here to love you. And so, oh man, anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, we're getting really close to wrapping up the series, right? I think we have, we have one more week. Next week, we're going to talk Jeremiah Mm -hmm. and this new covenant, which is my favorite Old Testament passage. Okay. Um, So I'm really excited about that. I assume Chris is too. He is excited about all things. (laughs) It's true. About the Bible, which I respect. But I just think it's important for us to really think back to these covenants in Lent as we look toward Easter morning. Um, So these covenants that are in place, even as we're you know, having this time of introspection and reflection, um, and maybe even these confessions of forgiveness that God continues to redeem us and provide these covenants that give us new life. Um, and that's really the beauty in it all. Well said, well said. Well, I'm excited to hear your sermon for next week. Yeah. On Jeremiah 31, right? Jeremiah 31. Yep. Join us in the sanctuary or in Trinity Hall. Yeah. All right. Well, Stephanie, it's been a pleasure per usual. And thanks for all your thoughts and great, great sermon. And I'm just thankful to to be working with you. Yeah. Right back at you, (laughs) Reagan. All right. Well, you'll have a good week. God bless you. And we'll see you next week, I guess. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode off script produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United podcast ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.